In this episode, I talk with Gingo Trigarg about the power of reclaiming cultural mythologies, cultivating a practice of elevating our ancestors, and how intuition bestows compassion on ourselves and others with whom we disagree or misunderstand. Gingo Tree is a certified integral coach and a facilitator for Stanford's Graduate Business School's Interpersonal Dynamics course. Over the past 21 years, she has held leadership positions within large healthcare organizations, led yoga teacher training programs, coached leaders across a wide range of professions, and run several small businesses. Through coaching, workshops, group work, and speaking engagements, Gangotri teaches and mentors leaders to embrace a model of embodied leadership so that they can integrate inclusion and belonging while empowering their teams to co-create the transformation necessary in today's environment of extreme disruption. Gangotri uses her combined experience and expertise of corporate leadership, mindfulness and empathy, DEI and leadership development to create a unique learning experience that results in profitable and sustainable change. In her spare time, Gingotri enjoys being in nature, stand-up paddle boarding, and relaxing with her husband and two children in their home in California. O King of Ayodhya, you know I'm innocent, and yet unfairly you're asking me to step into the fire. You offer me a tempting prize indeed, to live in happiness with you and my children, but I must refuse. Because if I do what you demand, society will use my action forever after to judge other women. Even when they aren't guilty, the burden of proving their innocence will fall on them. And society will say, why not? Even Queen Sita went through it. I can't do that to them. For the sake of my sons, I made myself live when it would have been much easier to give up and die than to go through the pain of having the person you love the most in the world abandon you. For the sake of my daughters and the centuries to come, I must now stand up against this unjust action you are asking of me. I wish you all happiness with my dearest love and push. I bless this land, its men and women. I bless my sons. And finally, I bless my daughters who are yet unborn. I pray that if life tests them, as sooner or later it is bound to, they'll be able to stand steadfast and think carefully using their hearts as well as their heads, understanding when they need to compromise and knowing when they must not. And that is why, O King Ram, I must reject your kind offer to allow me to prove my innocence again, because this is one of those times when a woman must stand up and say no more. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And could you just um, tell our listeners what book that comes from and, and how you found the book and, and your, your relationship with the book and why you chose to show that or share that? Absolutely. So it comes from The Forest of Enchantments um, by Chitra Banerjee Devakaruni. And it is so in... Um, in India, one of the biggest uh, epics, and it's kind of like the mythology, is called the Ramayana. And it's known as the story of Rama. And um, this version of it was written by a woman in our time. 
And she basically looked at it and said, okay, Rama's wife, his, her name was Sita. What would this story have looked like from her perspective? And so she wrote this book and so it's from that. And, and the thing about this is that Sita is known um, across India as like the epitome of what womanhood should look like. But this last piece where she said no is often not included. Mm. So the part where she stood by her husband, regardless of how she was treated, regardless of the injustice is what people are expecting of women. And it's kind of like, there's this blessing that she talks about even in the book that women after they're married, you often hear this blessing, like, may you be like Sita. And what they mean is may you, you know, be a good wife. Be agreeable all the time. Right. Um, but when you really look at who she was, you know, because this part of the story is true, but, and, and I get that this is written by, you know, a new author, but this part of the story is part of the myth that often gets just kind of left out. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is, I mean, I know this is where, you know, when I tell people that I love ritual so much, I also know that with ritual, there's, you know, when things, when ritual evolves and becomes distorted and becomes a, a tool for control, um, you know, and I can see these stories and I feel like all of us have these mythological stories in whatever background we have that need to have some retelling because, you know, you bring up, you know, this is told, you know, probably often at a wedding, you know, like, and be that wife, be that, you know, Sita, like be, and it's like all of a sudden this ritual moment that should be so beautiful becomes this prison and a cage. And so this story, it sounds like has um, allowed you to look at you know, these traditions and rituals in your own background and reclaim it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, growing up, I, so I grew up on the Ramayana as the story of Rama and looking at Sita as this ideal woman. And I bought into all of that. Right. And I was like, so excited to get married and serve my husband. Like this was, it, it was all I knew, you know what I mean? And so I bought into that and, you know, over the course of time, just through my own story and um, going through my own experiences and understanding how that sort of mindset really leads to our own demise. Yeah. Um, in seeing that and then coming across this book and reading it from her perspective has just been so healing. Yeah. I, I love that you, this is such a necessary conversation in these um these cultures and traditions that we're brought up in. And, and as children, you know, we use this language and I use it too because of my own, you know, spiritual background and religious background of, you know, I bought into something as if we had a choice, right. you know? And, and I think to have some compassion for ourselves is we weren't given any other choice. So it's not like we bought into it, but it was all we had. And so, you know, of course, as children, it's natural for us to, you know, want to please and to do the right thing. And that's like, we have such good hearts. And so of course, of course, that's what, you know, you, of course we buy into it and they are 
they are lovely stories and yet you start to live them out. And so you started to live this and then inside you're like on the outside, I'm doing this fairy tale thing, but on the inside, what's happening? Yeah. Well, so I love what you just said about the compassion piece and also this idea of it, it was all we had. And, and I think the, the other piece of it is it's, it's moralized, you know, like it's taught to us in a moral way so that it's like, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, you know, it, it's like this amazing way to be, to yeah. be a woman in that way, right? Like you're like a goddess in the way that you're described, right? Because you can tolerate everything and you're serving everyone and your love is like, you know, there's, there's no limits to the love that you hold because you're a woman. And like, you know, those things sound amazing. And then you tell that to a child, like, yeah. of course they want that. Yeah. But the problem is, like you said, you start to live this life and you realize that the other half that you're living with, yeah. apparently since you have all that, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to, you, you, you get to do all the work at all. Right. Yeah. And so all the sacrifice is done by you, you know, because like, we're the ones who we're supposed to embody all of that. Right. And you end up realizing that, you know, you can, in, in the process of trying to live that out, you can lose yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, what you're speaking to is how common it is to take these stories and to make you know translate it as we're superhuman yes. and I think all we really want to be is to be human yeah. and and that you know I uh, one phrase that I've been reminding myself of is you know I was taught to you know to want it all and now I realize you know to want it all to have it all to be it all and now I'm just like oh I just want to feel it all like I don't and, and I think that what these stories can do if they're translated and, and interpreted in these ways they become really damaging when we when they are told in a way that expects anyone in that story to become superhuman which is anyway so but I you know I think with the the retelling of a story you know it has this sort of that spiral. I feel like you're going through this spiral where you haven't thrown out this story. Right. You're reclaiming it. Mm -hmm. There's a whole other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want, I know you've had such a sincere and deep spiritual journey. And for you, rich things like ritual um, have evolved for you and maybe you know, once it was really linear and prescriptive. And now can you talk about maybe that, you know, that transformation of, of your spiritual journey and how ritual has transformed you to become something much more feminine and maybe even magic? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, growing up, like you said, it was just very prescriptive. It was, you know, certain things. And I, I spent many, many hours of almost every day in ritual um, growing up. And over time, again, just through my own journey, what I've really started to just question is, is what am I getting out of it? Like, how is it serving me? Because obviously I'm, you know, not trying to serve the ritual. 
but mm -hmm. trying to get something out of it. Yeah. And so as I've looked at that, it's really about like, you know, practicing something and then looking great, like, how do I feel during my day? How is that really serving me? And not that I need to feel good about anything, but am I deepening, mm. you know? Um, and so, you know, I've gone through an array of things like, I, you know, with the gratitudes and the, let me journal and then let me, you know, have a certain amount of time that I do yoga every morning and then let me meditate and then let me do this reading. So I've done all of that. And I think what I've come to lately is not that anything is um, super consistent for me, at least at this point in my life, where it's like, I have to do the same thing every single day um, because I'm not the same every single day. Like I wake up and I'm so different from day to day. And I, I've been really curious about the impact of that, you know, whether it's my environment or even the moon, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. so much. Yeah. And so if I'm changing every day, then how does this consistent ritual serve me? If it's yeah. every day, you know, not, and I'm not saying that there's not place for that. So anyway, it's changed. Um, I think one of the rituals that I've been loving the most lately is I've been looking at myself and um, just how I want to show up is um, ritual around ancestry mm -hmm. um, and really realizing that a lot of the ways that I show up, you know, in many ways that we have choice in how we want to show up. And yet I also believe that we've overestimated how much choice we actually have. And how we show up. <laughs> yeah, you know, everything is this cognitive thing. And I don't think that's really how we operate. And so as I've really looked at my ancestry, especially my, um, my maternal lineage, obviously, right? Where we were in our grandmother's bellies um, and, and looking at my own patterns of whether it's reactivity or um, triggers to trauma or, or any, any of those things and the way I show up, a lot of it I think is from my lineage. It's not even my own. Yes. And so it's like, if I want to elevate that, if I want to be in choice of that, can I do that just within my own body? Or do I have to do some practice to elevate my ancestry? Yeah. And I know that can sound really like loony and crazy and all of that, but I have seen it work. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, the sad thing is, is we kind of need science to validate things, but in a way I'm like, science is validating this. Like this whole epigenetics thing is such a gift in that people are finally like seeing in a science through a scientific lens that yes, we inherit all of, you know, things that we never imagined we inherited and that go back so many generations. And it's like, there's been these spiritual practices that have never forgotten that. And right. that's been seen as kind of loony and in a way I'm like how can we you know the the pace at which our modern world goes how can we not see that as the crazy <laughs> you know why do we think that our crazy fast lives are so normal and you know so it's you know it's all it's that topsy-turvy thing where we're mm -hmm. calling up down and down up and that's crazy and this is normal and I think the ancestry I think it's calling to a lot of people and I think I think the ancestors are worried for us I think they're frustrated with us and so I this seems to be a theme that comes up quite a, more and more for me at least mm -hmm. and so I think um 
I think the more of us out there who are aware of that and, and who can bring it into our personal practice to bring our ancestors with us into our daily lives. So how, how, what does that look like for you now, now that you're investigating that connection? You know, how are you kind of reaching into that realm and, and making it conscious for yourself? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a very, um, I'm a very visual person. And so I'm sure this probably shows up for people differently, but um, even in my own, like, cause I am a very, I guess, body centered person. So I have a very, like my somatic awareness is probably more than my cognitive brain works at times. Mm. Um, and so when I, when I picture my ancestors, like I started this, I don't know, maybe six or seven months ago. And when I would picture my, my female lineage ancestors, I would picture them in this kitchen and it would be so noisy. It's like, you couldn't even hear yourself think because there's like the bickering and the cooking and the, you, you know, you can picture what I'm yes, thinking yes. about, right? Yeah. In India and they're like, like, oh my God. I was like, oh my God, I have to like stop. <laughs> it's too much, right? Yeah. And so as I thought, I'm like, okay, well, of course, right? Like, and, and what the way that they, had to survive and find their own sovereignty was not direct. It wasn't by speaking up. It was by manipulation because it was the only thing that worked. Yeah. You know, a safe way for them to, to be able to have some kind of power. It was safe. Exactly. And so they used it against each other. They used it within their families. And then there were these extended families that were all living together. It was just crazy. Yeah. So as I, pictured that and I was like, okay, so if I'm working to elevate my ancestors and I'm thinking about what I want in my own life, and for me, it's really about um, elevating my own voice and, and empowering other women to elevate their voices. And so I'm like, if, that, if this is what I want for me in my life, then I need to picture it for them and theirs. Mm. And so I kind of like, as I would imagine them, I would like bring them back to the living room and be like, okay, let's start a book club. <laughs> I love this. So they would sit around in a circle and then I would picture that every day and just really like kind of feel into that. Mm. It would be in a book club. And then all of a sudden they'd be like, hmm, there's some interesting stuff here, right? And so then they'd be going off and like talking to the female servants that they had and being, you know, like letting them know that they're more than that. And eventually getting them to the point where they're actually um, empowering other women and like working with the kings and queens that were of that time. Yes. to empower other women in that time mm -hmm. and all of a sudden their own husbands are cherishing them for mm -hmm. for the power that they have and for what they have they have time to care for their own children rather than just you know kind of brushing them aside while they get their work done so it's been like this progress where every day I kind of not every day but you know however whenever I, I feel up to it kind of just sitting and picturing them and being with them and seeing them in their own elevation. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, what I've also realized though, is that in that process, I can also kind of look at them and be like, almost in a condescending way, like, oh my gosh, not realizing like <laughs> you did a hell of a lot in your time yeah. so that I could do what I'm doing right now. Yeah. So, you know, even in that elevation, there's an element of reverence there mm. for them and all that they have gone through and all that they, all that they have done in their time. 
mm. you know, to bring me. So as you're doing these visualizations, I so as part of it, I you know I do similar things, and I'm wondering for you if there's a similar experience of all of a sudden I can identify, you know, maybe where it's their voices that are playing out in my head. And I'm like, whoa, that's a belief. I, that's not my belief, but I've been carrying it around like it is my belief. And so, you know, as you do these visualizations, I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, how are you able, you know, I mean, what is it, how is it affecting your, your own heart, your own psyche to now recognize what role these women, these ancestors are actually playing playing out in your modern current life? Like how has that helped you kind of navigate and figure out who's who yeah. <laughs> and who's acting out of what? Absolutely. Well, I think in just my day-to-day -day life, you know, like I, I think as women, most of us have these moments where we're like, that, you know, somebody says something and that wasn't quite right. And it's like, is this the right time to speak up? Um, maybe, maybe not. Or am I making a big deal out of something that isn't really some, you know what I mean? Like all those, all that self-talk that mm -hmm. tends to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think what's, what I've been noticing more and more lately is as that self-talk happens, what is the voice of kind of like the unelevated ancestor versus the elevated ancestor versus me? and who I am today. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's been a, a real gift because even in who I am today, like I'm, I think if it was just me and who I am today, I could probably get myself into a lot of trouble <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I would love to scream from the rooftops and bite some people's heads off. But, um, <laughs> that's how I am. I will own that. <laughs> no, we need the wrath. I love the wrath of a woman. It's so cleansing. So it, yeah. And it's, it's fully here. Like if you know, the, um, the Hindu deities, like my, my woman is Kali very much. So, <laughs> so. yes. Oh my God. I feel like I actually knew about Kali before I knew about any of the Celtic dark goddesses. So Kali was my first like introduction to any dark goddess. So oh, wow, she'll always have a special place in my heart is like opening the gates to that side of being a, a woman, you know, mm -hmm. or at least that feminine side, you know, energy. So yes. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love this, you know, idea. It, as women, you know, how many self-help books are there out there to help us like speak up and be brave <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, I don't hear a lot of people bringing up this ancestral piece in this way that you are. And I'm wondering, I know you, you coach a lot of women and I'm curious as to, you know, if this ever comes up with the women you work with, and if you've seen this work for other women as they kind of you know, make that connection to their ancestors and how it kind of frees them up to become their own woman. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely incorporated in my work when I feel like it's, when there's an opening for it, yeah. you know what I mean? Yes. Um, but other ways that I, I try to kind of lead towards it is, um, you know, there's, there's all these ways that we tend to show up today, kind of like what you were talking about, right? Like we look at this fast paced life and that's apparently normal. And there's so many other ways that we show up in today's world 
that are considered normal, right? This idea of like even binary thinking, like it's either black or white, there's no gray in between. And how much we're actually losing out by not looking at that gray, or even this idea that any of us can really truly be objective about anything or that anything can exist free of context, hmm. right? And so all these things, and so these are, these are concepts that I really try to work with women on because I find that a lot of these concepts have stripped away a woman's intuition and the inner knowing and the gifts that women bring to society today or, or any at any time. But I think these, these values that we have in place today are there, you know, honestly, in a very strategic way to strip yeah. women of their power in many ways. And not just women, but, you know, when you think about all the indigenous cultures and all the, you know, like the cultures from around the world. Right. And so um, I really try to lead people back into that because once you can start to see that there's more here than we can see, yeah. then I, there's an opening to that ancestral wisdom and that ancestral um, healing mm -hmm. as well. But yeah. I think until people can see that there's more than just what I can see here, it's hard to be open to that. Yeah, I think we have, we really, I think that's what we're all trying to reclaim and it feels in a lot of ways, we're starting from scratch as we try to reclaim our intuition and I love that you bring up, you know, that it's not just women that have that intuition, but different cultures and, you know, men have it too, but it's just this like, it's so been beaten out of us to, we just learned to distrust it because it's wild. Right. And it's, it's not, it's unpredictable. And yet I feel like, well, wouldn't we want an, un, you know, a wild tool for uncertain times, like a tool to meet, you know, the right circumstance. It's like, how are we supposed to meet uncertain times with these equations and algorithms? You know, I feel like that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't match up. Like we want the right tool. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it was so funny, right? Like that was the beginning of COVID, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, you can do this, but not that. You wear a mask, but don't wear a mask. Like, oh my God, the amount of regulations that contradicted themselves because they were trying to look for these black and white solutions. It was just like, it was such a, I found it to be such an opening. Yeah, it was very revealing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that opening that is a, a revelation of, of just yes. how inept we are at dealing with you know, these things that really we've, our culture has brought on itself. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I love that you, you bring up that intuition and that your rituals have taken on an intuitive rhythm mm -hmm. themselves and, and they kind of have that natural emerge, emergent evolution to them. And I think, um, I feel like that's the kind of ritual that I, the, the definition, if we're going to define things in an undefined way, <laughs> um, that I hope people um, are gathering from what you're saying, and and I want to reclaim ritual as something that is more intuitive and aligned with the seasons you mentioned earlier. You know, paying attention to the moon and and that are you know we are going to be different every day, and that is our nature. Um, and yeah. so to try to stick to one program day in and day out is not only it doesn't not work but it it feels it starts to feel violent at some point absolutely and and I, yeah yeah so i mean i think 
Um, yeah, could you could you talk to you a little bit about you work a lot with groups um, and and kind of facilitating really intense dialogues, bridging people who are on different sides of things. And I think that in and of itself, you know, how you know, you know, how how does your as you use your new kind of organic rituals in your daily life and you're reaching back to the ancestors and then you go to work and you're you're doing the you're in these intense situations working with humans trying to help them not see so black and white help them to find somewhere in the gray area where they can feel comfortable i mean what role does intuition play when you now step into that that group scenario yeah well i i think the biggest role that it plays honestly is just compassion Mm. Um, because the thing about intuition is like, you can have a, um, you can get an intuitive hit about somebody, but to, and you could know it from the, the deepest core of your being. Um, but to allow that known to be out about someone else is almost a violation in a way, if that makes any sense. And so I think the biggest thing that it has allowed me to do is, is to really look at people and, and consider what might be going on for them and to have compassion for that. And then in some way, shape or form, be able to draw some of that out. Yeah. Um, so I think it's helped from that perspective. And also I think just in, in working with my own ancestry and thinking about myself and this idea of being misunderstood, that's such a big wound for so many of us, mm. you know? And so allowing other people to have a voice for their own intentions and also for the impact of other people's actions mm. um, and allowing space for, for just those two things to be present with each other yeah. um, is, has been really, really healing, not just for them, but for me, honestly, I do this work very selfishly. <laughs> as ultimately we all do we're all very selfish at the end of the day <laughs> no but I, I love that because I think still you know like it is true that people feel very misunderstood and that's why things are very polarized right now and I think people want to make bridges but they're so wounded and so hurt in that sense of being misunderstood and they're afraid to even open their mouth for being misunderstood again and I feel like it goes back to the story you even started with that was so beautiful and that it's just like if I do this again you're going to use this against me yeah. you know, somehow this is going to be used against me and I think a lot of us feel trapped in that way and like we can't even begin a conversation with someone who may have a different experience or a different belief or a different opinion because we're just afraid of being misunderstood for even one little word. And, and so I think that intuition, the compassion piece, I feel like so many of us are so unpracticed in compassion and it starts with ourselves, right? Like, I don't think, I think part of that being afraid to open our mouths is we're afraid to say the wrong thing because, and we won't open our mouth till we know exactly the right thing to say. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love what you just said. It totally starts with ourselves. And this idea that we have to be right all the time 
is the furthest thing from self-compassion, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because I think the only way to bridge these gaps is honestly to get in there and do it wrong. Yeah, I feel like that's actually maybe part of your daily practice and your (laughs) (laughs) conversations is I feel like you have to be a person willing to, you know, when you're facilitating these groups, you of all people in that scenario have to be willing to be wrong to be willing to learn at least and I'm sure you you know on a daily basis come away from you know working being like well I learned I could do this differently (laughs) I'm not gonna say that again (laughs) it's like yep foot in mouth (laughs) but I think that's you know that willingness I loved I saw somewhere on the the almighty internet the other day one of those great little memes that just you know was a reminder of you know to engage with life more as if you're prototyping rather than perfect you know so I'm loving you know and I think that each day you know the way that you're living it so intuitively and so naturally feels like you're you're willing to prototype every day, like try this and see what this, you know, does this help me go deeper? I, I love that, that you, when you mentioned that, does this help me go deeper? And it's that idea of like, am I on the spiral where I'm deepening? Like, I think of like a, like, I don't want to use a drill because that's such a violent image, but <laughs> like roots like tree roots you know <laughs> i think ultimately what tree roots are doing is they're doing this twisting torquing into the ground mm-hmm. you know and i feel like that's that spiral movement where rather than just going in circles and doing the same thing over and over and over again yeah yeah and i also think within that spiral there are places that are shadow and there are places that are light and gotta bring it all in there the other thing that i i also just wanted to say like i think in in this idea of going in and and prototyping, one of the biggest learnings that I have had on this journey of even facilitating groups and all of that is that the beauty of interpersonal dynamics or connecting across difference or any of that is not in what we say, but it's in in the repair Mm. possible after we mess up. Like that's where the bridge is. That's where the repair is. That's where, this shared future is. I love that it's in our, in the repair and and in our response to it, you know, how are we responding? Oh, I love that. How do you have, like, what do you suggest to people? You know, like what are some maybe common tools you give to people, you know, when something's been breached, something's been broken, you know, Mm -hmm. what are just some baby steps to, you know, starting that reparation process for people? Yeah, I think the, a couple of things. The first is to not be afraid. Don't, um, don't be afraid of being confused, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of times we're like, what did I say? What did I do? I don't get it. And it's like this grasping to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't be afraid to be confused. And, you know, wherever you have made the error there's a couple things right so you can say like i'm i'm sorry help me understand that's one mm. two when it is across racial difference though and it or you know even gender difference or what have you there is this idea that those who have been 
um, historically oppressed have had to extend so much emotional labor in explaining and teaching and all of that, that they might not want to help you understand. Yeah. And know that if that's what you need, that that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. Mm. That means that they are tired. And the biggest thing that you could do in that moment is, is let them be and then go and do your own research and figure, not figure it out, but go and there's so many resources out there. Right. You know what I mean? To, to learn some of this stuff. So I guess I would just say it's okay to be confused. It's okay to not know the answers. Yeah. I think that's interesting because there's, we put so much emphasis on good communication, you know, and that I think sometimes people misunderstand when someone's so exhausted and they just have nothing else to say. Like I've recently in the past year just rediscovered how beautiful and powerful silence is, you know, and that silence is another way of communicating. And yes, there's definitely like this stone wall kind of thing you want to avoid, but there's a difference between the stonewalling of like, I'm just not going to you know, I'm punishing you, I'm punishing you versus I'm exhausted and I am hurt and I am wounded and I just, I just can't. And I think, you know, in our overemphasis on communicate, 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 you know, we forget that there's so many ways that people communicate and it's learning to watch body language and, and I, you know, like look and like, you can tell how sincere someone is the look in their eyes, you know, like, and we've forgotten how to read these other forms of communication. And so we can easily get offended and say, well, I tried to talk to so-and-so about this issue, but they wouldn't talk to me. And we, <laughs> you know, I can look like I took the high road and yet really it's this person's exhausted. Mm-hmm. And if we have real compassion, we could see that and then say, okay, this conversation is over and it needs to be over. And this, the communication needs to look different. I need to go do the work. So yeah. I love that you bring that up. It's a good, oh man, I, the grasping we want. I love that you said, you know, to be okay with being confused. <laughs> I feel like I'm confused a lot. So that felt really good. Thank you. But I think, you know, that confusion, you know, gets mislabeled too. Um, and it goes back to even just a feminine way of, you know, the feminine is chaos, it's wild. And um, we, yeah, we want to rush in with our prescriptions. So thank you for reminding us that we don't have to rush in with any sort of answers or that we can just be in it for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I also wanted to ask you, you do, um, you love being outside, you love paying attention to natural cycles. Um, could you just talk a little bit about how, you know, the more you engage with the land, with nature, you know, how that helps you kind of discover who you are, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm pausing because that feels so much like, I guess my response to that is so much more of a, like a felt sense than it is words. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, 
so I guess as I connect, um, I guess what I'm noticing is that what's outside of me is inside of me as well. Yeah. Right. And so as I connect with nature and her vastness, I experience more and more of that inside of me. Um, mm -hmm. And for me specifically, like it's in my chest, like it literally like feels like it tears apart, almost like just not tears in a, in a, in a violent way, but it, it's expansion, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and I, I, for me, and I think for so many people out there, um, one of the, the things that we've longed for the most since childhood is belonging, right? And when I'm out in nature, there's this, there's no question about yeah. that. It's like, it's where I belong. It's where we all belong. And um, yeah. I, That's beautiful. Yeah, I don't know if I, it's, I guess it's in a way, I always feel like I'm sitting in mother nature's lap. I love that. I don't think, yeah, I don't think you, you need any more words to that. And I, I love that expansiveness and the vastness and that boundlessness. And I think that's, you know, most of our lives, we all feel like we're put in these boxes in so many ways. And the boxes feel very constricting and constraining and, and confusing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's, you know, do, do, you, um, do you often kind of, I guess, I guess, give prescriptions of sorts, like nature prescriptions to your clients? You know, how does that play into... You know, how do you help people find, you know, that connection for themselves? Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of like get outside and go for walks and all of that kind of thing, but also really just a, um, it's not, it's not as prescriptive. It's really about like, where do you find um, that you're most connected? Like what kind, what kind of nature um, speaks to your soul? Yeah loudest right um because yeah. for different people it is different you know whether it's the mountains or the water or, um do you find people resist it as almost it's like too simple of a oh yeah you know like oh just going for a walk is supposed to help me and this depression or anxiety I've suffered with my whole life just going for a walk is supposed to, like you know do you find that's common Totally. And you know what the, the, the big thing is, is when I, when I hear that, I have to catch myself too, not trying to concoct these like complicated things. You know what I mean? Cause it's yeah, so to make it like a technical, yeah, it's good for you because there's aerosols in the air and there's, you know, it's, it's yeah. scientific that scientifically proven that it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a, it, it can mess with your brain <laughs> a lot, but yeah, people do they like, if it's simple, it's not going to work, you know? That's what I've learned for myself. Right? When I finally realized I was doing that, where I was overcomplicating my own healing process. And like, I just need to do the most simple. Like I, for me, that was part of going back to the ancestral was like, what was the simple things that they did every day, you know, that just kind of kept them, you know, and, you know, not that we all want to go back because there's things we don't want to go back to, <laughs> but 
that there, you know, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So, but that implicit, I think there is a reason we have a lot of people have nostalgia for simpler times. Um, yeah. Um, just because we, I think it gave us more ease, the word sovereignty. We could find the solutions for ourselves. You know, we were in tune with like the simplicity of like, oh, you know, this plant, you know, will, you know, in my backyard or whatever. Like, I, I know what all this is, but yeah, I think I love that. Yeah, you remind us of the simplicity of that and even to resist, because I know, I feel like I have to know all of the scientific justifications so that when people have skepticism, I'm ready with my, um, with my rebuttal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Either that or I need to come up with some complicated solution that they're going to buy into so they'll actually do it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, right? Like, here's your well, regimen. Spin around three times, touch the ground, jump up. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. is that better? <laughs> well, you know, the most simple of it all is that just simple, but the hardest is just to surrender, to just stop. Yeah. Like, not really, like, if that's really the only prescription I think most people need is like, just stop. <laughs> but it's so hard. Oh, all right. Yeah. Just the pause. Oh my gosh. Ooh, I love that word. The pause. I feel like, yeah. Could you talk about that? Like throughout the day, you know, like how do you find those moments to pause and what do they look like and, and what do, and how do they enrich your days? Well, I think, so I've been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to surround myself with people like you. So, thank you so when I get to talk to people like you and you ask me some of these amazing questions they just cause me to pause right um so that's one and I and that's a big one I have to say like mm. really pleasing the people that you're surrounding yourself with yeah um the other thing is just really recognizing like what is it that you really value in your life right now and when you come across those things each day just making it a point to stop and take them in. Like for me, it's my kids. Mm. And uh, yeah, at least at least once a day, I have to stop and just kind of stare at their face, mm. you I know? Love, yes. Just looking into your beloved's face. I love that. Yeah. That one doesn't come up a lot. Mm. It's really, it's so healing. And then you see their eyes and you see the pain and you see the, the compassion, you see all of it, you know? Yeah. So I love and the other thing is I love to walk barefoot outside. Yes. And now at least where I am, the weather is getting to where I can do that again. The snow is gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be, I wouldn't. I know. I, I was like, did I try doing a snow walk? No, no. <laughs> not, I'm not that dedicated to my grounding earthing practice, but yes, no, the walking barefoot is such a gift. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm.